0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 20 of Helium Podcast. Today on the show, we talk about conferences. As researchers, we spend a lot of time at conferences. We spend a lot of time traveling to conferences. But do we have a strategy for how to approach conferences? We've partnered with a conference called the Association of Environmental Engineering and Science Professors Conference to actually bring you the next four episodes. The episodes won't be focused on environmental topics, but rather they'll be focused on topics that are relevant to early career researchers as we always do. And today we'll actually be talking about strategies for approaching conferences, how best to plan out your conference time and take the most advantage of the time away that you're taking from your family and your work and your home. The format for today's episode is a little bit different than our normal episodes. It's not an interview, but more like a roundtable on strategies for conferences. So the audio quality is a little bit different than what you're used to from our podcast. But we know you will enjoy the content and some of the strategies that are shared in this episode. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss this entire series that we've produced with AEESP
1: today we're doing something a little bit different and really exciting. We're happy to welcome two guests today with myself, um, Christine Ogilvie Hendren and my co-host Matt Holtzi. We are also happy to have Ariel Atkinson, who is um, a postdoctoral associate at the Nanotechnology Enabled Water Treatment Center. She's working at Arizona State University and also Daniela Saida, who's a PhD student in environmental engineering and who is uh, specializing in being a a urine diversion enthusiast and specialist. Welcome. Thanks.
0: Hello. <laughs> yeah, welcome to you both. I think uh, we're excited to have you on the show because you approached us as listeners to the show and you had an idea for us of how we might be able to collaborate with the AESP conference. And so I wanted to let you kind of explain uh, how this whole collaboration came to pass and how we're going to be recording this episode as well as three other episodes with the plenary speakers from the conference uh, for our audience in Helium. So maybe I'll toss it over to you, Ariel.
2: Yeah, thanks, Matt. So yeah, like you said, I, I am a personally huge fan of Helium. And so uh, as someone who was on the planning committee with Daniela, so we have a postdoc planning committee, uh, postdoc and student planning committee, as well as a uh, faculty planning committee for AESP, uh, I thought of you guys as far as, you know, like, we're trying to innovate the AESP conference, and so what can we do? And I was like, hey, you know, it's uh, Association of Environmental Science and Engineering Professors are, are no. It's the Association (laughs) of Environmental Engineering and Science Professors, right? And you guys target early career faculty, so I thought it would be a perfect collaboration. And uh, me and Daniela started talking about how can we translate something like you guys are doing, talking to early career faculty about things other than just the science, right, Uh, to the actual conference, and so, Danielle, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so we're bringing this new
3: idea to AESP this year where we're going to be hosting uh, short chats that are going to be both about technical and non-technical uh, topics that are going to be live streamed across the Internet for people that ha- that aren't able to attend the conference. But the, this gives the opportunity for um, conference attendees to talk about anything that they'd like to talk about um, for a short duration of time with Um, any, anybody that's attending the conference. And so it could be the experts in the field. It could be people that you're, um, at at the same timeline with, it could be anything that you want to talk about. So we're hopefully going to receive a lot of, um, applications for this. It's going to be called the city or chats in 4d. And so, um, really short talks that we could hopefully spark a lot of discussion on at the conference.
2: Sort of like what you guys are doing, but in a live form.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And uh, it's cool that you're going to live stream it. I think it's very innovative. I think uh, everyone who can't make it to the conference will be excited to at least have some ability to tap into the people that are attending there. And so one of the things that we talked about in terms of getting you guys on the show, because we're like, oh, you guys got to come on for an episode. You know, we batted around and decided you guys should come on. And because this is the whole idea is based around this conference, we thought we might talk about some of your top tips for conferences as you know, as early career researchers yourself or very early career researchers in some cases. Uh, what have you tried in terms of getting the most out of conferences? You know, maybe there's some some tips. Maybe we can go around even you, Christine, and and maybe I can share some tips myself for people that are listening in. So whoever wants to go first, maybe we can, oh, Ariel's ready to go.
2: (laughs) So I think that um, to get the most out of a conference, you should actually start with before even going to the conference, right? So what do I want to get out of conferences this year? So being able to answer that question, I think is really important in being able to choose the conference you want to go to, right? Because they... There are different types of conferences from large to small um, ones that are more focused around industry. So maybe, you know, as an early career researcher, I want to collaborate more with industry members and, you know, maybe use that as a funding source. And so I could target a particular conference for that this year. Right. So I think that's my first tip.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wanted to follow up with that because I I think that's really smart because I see a lot of professors just going to every conference under the sun. And sometimes it's not clear to me, or at least maybe they're not articulating it to me, but it's not clear to me why they're going to all these conferences because that takes up a lot of time, money, energy, and they're constantly jet lagged and complaining about jet lag. (laughs) So I like your approach there of like planning out the year I mean, Mm -hmm. some people, I mean, one of the things that I like to do on the show is compare what people do as early career researchers to people running small businesses. And the thing that I'm hearing a lot lately in terms of the small business world is these idea of planning out your 90 day uh, or quarter, you're planning out your quarter. So you could almost have a quarter quarter for example, or maybe two quarters where you're thinking about industry collaboration. So you're, you're aligning everything that you're doing in terms of trying to get more collaboration sponsorships from industry, just contacts with industry. And so therefore you're, you're, like you said, Ariel, you're, you're focusing on those particular conferences that you know is, is going to have heavy industry involvement from perhaps people that can help sponsor your research or get you the connections that you need to complete your work.
2: Or even like, maybe I want to learn about a particular topic, you know, and so I'm going to go to one of those. Um, Or I want to strengthen my relationships with, you know, a very particular subset of people. I mean, I think there's a lot of goals that you could have um, and sort of choose the conferences that you go to accordingly instead of just, hey, I go to this one every single year. And so I'm just going to continue to go that one or, you know, indiscriminately going to conferences.
0: Yeah,
1: I think a lot of times this is an area where people tend to inherit their priorities from their advisor or the people that are around them. And that's the first conference that someone else pays for you to go to, because that's their community. And that's their way of bringing you up. And they're doing the A great thing by that. Um, but I really like the themes that you both, Ariel and Matt touched on already of um not only intentionality but thinking at multiple scales. So your long term things, maybe after a while it becomes clear, I will always work, you know, to find a a way to go to a conference with this person because I'm depth. You know the depth of the relationship there is worth an investment, and that's where we see each other. And then other times it's more near term, like okay, say if I have a particular technology that is in a space that's blowing up right now, um, and I need to be at this conversation of say Gen X and PFAS and all of these things that are happening. Or um, so just being able to think at those multiple scales, realize both of them, all of those scales will be drivers and then deciding what it is that you're going to get out of the conference, which also helps with kind of one of my tips, which is to not feel badly about not going to the whole thing. You haven't necessarily just, you know, committed to spend four solid work days or however many on doing this thing. So, To be okay with and not have guilt run your schedule that day, but say, I'm here to get some certain pieces of information, perhaps give certain pieces of information and then strengthen relationships. And then I'm also going to write down what I've learned in this moment while my brain's on fire, because it will go away on the plane home. So capturing it and feeling free to play hooky to capture it, I think would be my advice.
2: Absolutely agree with that. I have learned to do that better throughout the years (laughs) because, you know, we all have priorities and sometimes going to every talk is not the top priority. Yeah. Daniela. Yeah. So I think from
3: the student perspective, I think an early career researcher should, should speak to their students, to all of the topics that you guys just talked about and should really try to plan out the conference with the student before they go to the conference. Because as a student, you do end up going as just like an, a, a, tiny little bird trying to fly away from the nest and uh-huh. kind of going into every single talk and trying to just basically get in as get it, get into as much as you can when really professors or other people that have been to the conference before really aren't doing that and so I think it's really important for professors to um, speak to their students about what the expectations are of the conference or what you really need to get out of it before they go to the conference
0: yeah I think that's I, go ahead, go ahead. you first okay sure so so i could say for sure that even as my, my job as an editor when i was an editor a managing editor was supposed to be somebody was paying for me to go there and it was my job and so i will i will say that i will back up what christine said and even during that time i knew for example when i was taking breaks and when i wasn't engaging with people And the other thing that I did, which builds on what you were saying, Daniela, is that I was emailing all the people I wanted to talk to before I ever got to the conference. I was setting up separate meetings that were way far away from where their main event was. And of course, maybe I was getting special treatment because I was an editor and I was associated with a journal and other things like that. But I still think it's a good approach, even for students. Right? If you're interested in someone else's work, uh, you know, you want to make contact with a postdoc, another professor. You know, don't be offended if they don't get back to you. Right? Don't take it personally. But you can't, you can't uh, know if they want to meet with you unless you try. Right? And so that was, if I could go back in time and tell my graduate student self something, it would be something similar to uh, planning everything ahead and and really contact people do not be afraid to reach out to folks even if you don't have the banner of a journal behind your name what's the worst that can happen if they ignore your email then they ignore your email and maybe they're not worth talking to or maybe they're just busy you know so i would i would highly recommend uh and then planning that out with your professor like you said danielle your your mentor's uh, talking to them, say here. Here's the approach I want to take. Here's the emails that I want to send to people because I'm interested in these collaborations, and 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 getting them to kind of say, okay, this looks this looks like a good way to approach somebody, or maybe this is too aggressive, or they can kind of get a sense of what it would look like if they got that kind of cold email into their inbox, or maybe they know them and they can provide the introduction for you,
2: and it makes it a little bit less awkward if you plan it instead of just, you know, it's, especially as a student, it's hard to go up to some of these like big names and you don't know if, you know, they have to run somewhere after the talk. So I really do think planning helps you feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. and, you know, ensures that it will happen if it's going to happen.
0: The worst time to talk to someone is right after they talk because everyone is swarming them. Everybody wants to talk to them. It is it, it, as, as a person that went to conferences as a job that was that just stay away from that, you know, don't even go to the, go to the talk, but then just leave because most people, if they're worth talking to, they've got four or five people right there. And that's not a time to have a substantial, substantial, if I could get the word out conversation with them or some or, 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 develop a relationship.
1: Yeah. But if you have to, if that's your only window, I think having a card or something and one thing saying, I will follow up with you by email, but this is why I really wanted to say that I enjoyed your talk. Cause maybe you Absolutely. didn't understand that that person would be there, but you're struck in the moment. Oh my gosh, this is the person yeah. I've been needing to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I just had, I just went through a stack of cards that I feel horrible how late I am in responding, except that I know that the people that handed them to me are busy living their lives and have not been sad over it the whole time. Um, <laughs> and, and so I just emailed back, but if they, um, it was a talk that was last minute and people were like, I didn't know this talk was going to be here, but let's connect. And it stuck with me. It stuck in the back of my head. I emailed them back two months later. So that's another thing that, you know, um, Sometimes you throw out all these different sparks you don't know what's going to hit yeah. and you you can't really be um, kind of downtrodden over it um, the other thing that I was thinking though is that um, this reminds me of some themes that have come up from earlier episodes where, you know, yes, the student and the power dynamics of being a student when you're talking to a professor, somebody that's established in their career can feel slanted in their direction. But something that has come up when we were talking to conferences with professors um, where is that they're always on the lookout for a pipeline, you know, good students and good potential postdocs are a find, you know, and so not to feel badly, one, if you're coming to this conversation from a student perspective, there are people who need you. And so make it easy to be found. They'll be happy to find you. And if you're hearing this as a professor, just remember that people don't know that. So you have to, as, as Daniela was saying, you know, talk through these things that you have as tacit knowledge that are just kind of absorbed over the years or figured out and just say, here's what I think you should do at a conference. Maybe it is the case that as a student, you're going to everything as the bird flying from the nest and the fly on the wall and all of those mixed analogies. Maybe that is the right approach. But just to hear um, from your professor what are the possible ways to get a lot out of this conference and um, how do you just go into this with an open mind, you know, excited curiosity ready for the new connections that happen at a conference and no guilt and no wondering, am I doing this right? Is, was it worth it to send me here? Um, Which I think is a little blanket that holds people down sometimes on a, on a conference.
0: So actually I want to follow up with you, Daniela, because uh, trying to get more of the student perspective. Right. So did you go to conferences like research conferences as an undergrad? Is that how you got introduced to the research world? Uh,
3: yeah, I went to, I went to conferences as an undergrad. I actually went to conferences as a high schooler. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, but I started going to serious conferences like all the time in undergrad and then during my master's, um, we were lucky that the state of Florida had a lot of conferences nearby. And so we were able to um, go to conferences at low cost, which is always a big issue with students going to conferences. And so I think finding conferences that are nearby for students is a perfect place for them to get their feet wet in conferences um, because it could be something you drive to and you only spend half the day at or um, something like that. And so that's where I started going to conferences. My The conference and not to to sound corny, but the conference that actually sparked my interest in doing a PhD was AESP. And so um, when I was at AESP, I was just a master's student and I was not really thinking about doing a PhD, but I left the conference feeling sad that I wasn't going to be able to go to conferences like that any longer if I were to go into consulting or something else um, after my master's because AESP is a very academic rich conference. And so I really felt kind of sad at the end thinking like, this is my last ASP. I'm not going to be able to go to ASP again. Um, and so um, that, that conference really, really sparked my interest. And I, I feel that um, people that aren't able to attend ASP aren't able to achieve that same uh, reality that I did. And so I, I really advocate for that conference as a whole, just because it, it really does open a lot of avenues for people.
1: What can you I'd love to follow up on this because I'm so interested in, you know, culture and creating a space for safety, creativity and, you know, um, rigorous academic idea sharing, but also a personal level connection. Can you try and put into words what about AWSP felt that way to you? Why did it draw you in?
3: It just felt like it was a space for that didn't feel so daunting to go up to the professors that are the big wigs or the, the big names in the field. It just, it didn't feel kind of felt like a camp. Like we were there all kind maybe it was because we were all staying in the dorms at Yale that it just sparked that, that camaraderie or that community where we were all there together and having lunch together, the big lunch area. Just, I don't know. It just felt, it felt like a community that I wanted to be a part of.
2: And I've had similar experiences in my, you know, earlier days of my PhD as well um, at Gordon conferences. I I do think that those sorts of conferences do have a really high value for um, the younger students or the earlier students, because then you do start to develop those relationships with um, those professors earlier and I, I, don't know. I, am still like I don't do much disinfection byproduct research anymore. But like I still feel so connected to that community because that was the first conference that I went to was the Gordon uh, DBP conference. And so I feel like you know some of these really big names are like my friends, you know, even though they're top researchers.
0: Yeah, it's making me think of a book that I think both Christine and I are reading right now. It's called Cultural Code, and there's some very excellent points in that book about how great teams are built by so they talk about the navy seals for example and they just bring everybody down to the same level right and they're all in this terrible these terrible situations together and of course the gordon conference doesn't make you carry telephone poles around in the field (laughs) and and you know you know hold your breath for you know whatever however long the navy seal tests are but I think the ideal still stands, which is that you're putting everybody on equal ground. You're like, Oh, everybody go canoeing, you know, and everybody stinks at canoeing. Right. And, and, but somehow you've gotten this connection with these folks by not, by not feeling like there's some kind of tiered system and that, and that that lasts forever, basically, It, it doesn't go away. It's pretty nice.
1: Mm -hmm. That's something that's so um, such a really cool theme to emerge across a lot of our different conversations, which is that it's not it's it's completely separate from um, uh, respect for experience and knowledge and, you know, kind of a lasting legacy that you have after showing years and years of Progress and something. So it's not saying that everybody's equal in terms of their power in decision making, but everybody is equal in terms of their value, their intellect, their life energy. And I think looking for opportunities to disrupt the power dynamics that artificially keep us separate and keep our ideas from coming out because we're afraid or you know careful. Um, I think that what's really neat is to see that the people who are really advanced professors and early career students and researchers all love that moment where we're all human together, having great ideas, learning how to use those great ideas.
2: Yeah, and I, I one thing that I think about any sort of um, work environment that is important Um, and that makes good science is being vulnerable and, you know, not, yeah, I think breaking down those walls is, is a big part of making good science. Like you can actually, you know, make mistakes and not feel bad about it. I think really taking away that, uh, fear factor really helps you succeed in whatever sort of work you're doing.
0: So I actually kind of want to bring this back in thinking about the early career research going to conferences, right? Because not every conference is a Gordon conference. Uh, not every conference is a WESP conference. What, you know, and if you're going with what's let's say your intention as an early career researcher is to go to conferences, make connections with students or potential postdocs that you're trying to recruit into your, from your perspective, and I hate to put you on the spot here, but from y'all's perspective, How can someone who's a professor kind of communicate their vulnerability if it's not like, oh, we're both canoeing together or, you know, Mm -hmm. going playing soccer or something like that? I I, I don't know if there's a good answer to this, but I'm curious what you guys think.
2: I mean, I think, you know, if they're giving a talk, just saying, hey, you know, I am actually looking for students, you know, that's a good start, then that's inviting the students or postdocs to actually come talk to you. So I think that's one good way to start. I also think participating in as many either,
3: um, young, young professionals, uh, get togethers, anything like that, anything that sparks that conversation. So maybe the poster sessions, like attending the poster sessions and being, um, an active listener in the poster sessions would be great. Um, stuff like that, but always being transparent about what they're looking for, I think is great. Like what Ariel just said. Mentioning that you're looking for a student and being transparent about
2: that would be great help. And I think one thing that I do see sometimes at conferences, particularly with early career researchers, is, is cl- clicks. right? Um, we have a group of people that we feel comfortable with and maybe we want to catch up with because we haven't, you know, we live all across the country, But I think making time and maybe a goal to talk to students, you know, actually go up to students instead of having the students have to go up to you. If your goal is to get students, then you should engage just as much as the students should or initiate.
1: A sort of recognition of the the power differential, um, making that space to kind of kind of open the invitation, hey, approach me. If you're curious about this, if you're a student, if you're a postdoc, come ask me about this. Because I think that that sort of specifically speaks to the barriers that might be kind of socially keeping people from approaching each other. Um, and I think just being aware of them, calling them out, trying to make overtures to overcome them it goes a long way, it sounds like.
0: Are there any any other parting words of advice about conferences or other thoughts that you either Ariel or Danielle have uh, for our little roundtable discussion today?
2: I have one last piece of advice. So going back to the planning a little bit and being intentional is I usually try to come challenge myself. So for every conference, I set up a challenge for myself. Usually it's some sort of social challenge, right? I'm going to go talk to this person you know, person. And so then I will actually do it. And otherwise I might not. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. Just put it up on the board and say, I gotta, I gotta do this It's a
2: goal, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think it changes the dynamics of how you think about it. It's a
1: good time to be brave, right? Ask the question that comes to your mind. That's, um, I've gotten two jobs from people hearing me ask a question. Um, I had no way of knowing somebody was going to be there. It was not a strategic move. I was just really curious and I thought, well, heck, I'll just ask it. Um, And I think that that worked out for me. I didn't know if it was a dumb question. I I didn't know. I mean, that's the definition of asking a question is you didn't know. So (laughs) I think that that has served me well uh, doing that too.
3: And then one last thing I have is I think conferences should be fun in the end. And so don't skip out on the the happy hours or the dinners or stuff like that. I think those occasions also spark a lot of connections. And so in the end, it should be a fun experience and you shouldn't be completely a nerve wreck the whole time you're there.
0: So if, if either of you, if our listeners see either of you at a conference, let's say the AWESP conference, what are you guys looking to do? At your next conference, and so what kind of connections are you looking to make? What opportunities do you need for your your next steps in your research or your career? Any well, that's
2: thoughts?
0: a hard. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard question.
2: Because you like, know, the May May is a little while away, so a lot can change between now and. Then. <laughs> good point. Surprise, Eliot. Well, so for my goal for this Mm -hmm. conference was actually getting involved in the um, organization. And so I'm sort of meeting my goal beforehand. That's
0: nice. Yeah.
2: (laughs) For me, it's strengthening the relationships that I've
3: already had, um, that I've already built from past conferences um, at this one. And so I'm still, I'm my third year of my PhD. And so those relationships, I hope will help me
0: when I graduate. Awesome. This has been great. Thank you both.
2: Yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. I'm so excited.
0: Thank you for listening to episode 20 of Helium Podcast. We're hosting a webinar this Friday, March 1st at 3 p.m. Central Time on landing your faculty position. So if you're looking to land a faculty position within the next year, we've gathered a lot of the resources together that we've learned through these first 20 episodes, and we'll present that to you in an hour-long webinar with some time for questions at the end please join us by registering at www.teamhelium.co slash webinar. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.teamhelium.co slash episode 20. The music for this episode was provided by Michael Blake. He can be found at mblakemusic.com. And this episode was edited and produced by Christine Ogilvie Hendren and myself, Matt Hotze. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, guys, to subscribe. Press that subscribe button so that you don't miss any of the episodes coming up. We've got some great ones coming out all throughout the spring. We've got most of them recorded, and we're excited to share those with you. Thank you for being a listener to Helium Podcast, and have a great day.